Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 36. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. May the Lord add blessing to his word this morning. Matthew is in the midst of telling us the story of Jesus. If this is your first time at Poplar Spring in a long time, or maybe even ever, I would tell you that we're in the midst of a a study of the gospel of Matthew, and Matthew is telling us who Jesus is. His point really is to bring us uh, to the understanding that those that are in the boat, down in verse 33, come to, they have seen the miracle work of Jesus, and they've seen what he has done in Peter's life, and how Peter's come back to the boat, and here's their confession— Truly, you are the Son of God. This morning, if you and I come to where Matthew wants us to come to, we get to this idea, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the one sent from heaven, the one who will redeem us, the one who will give us eternal life, and we will be in awe of Him, and it will change everything in us. I made this statement to you last week that at the core of who we are, 
the base of who you are, what defines you is your belief. Because your belief will determine what you love, fear, and desire. And what you love, fear, and desire will determine what you think, say, and do. So the actions of your life, the words of your mouth, they come ultimately from what you believe. And Matthew is writing a book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit aiming at your heart, at your belief, and bringing us to believe exactly what these uh, fishermen and these disciples who are in this boat confess about Christ. Truly, you are the Son of God. I mentioned to you that we're in a transition in the Gospel of Matthew in these middle chapters, and Jesus has revealed or Matthew has revealed to us Jesus ministry he has revealed to us Jesus teaching and now we've begun to turn and last week we saw a couple of examples of those who respond to Jesus with unbelief they do not believe in it it comes out in the way that they act and it's revealed in the situations in their lives And so Matthew now, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 14, is going to show us a couple of situations that the disciples find themselves in and how they respond in these situations and how they respond in faith. As a matter of fact, from here on, you're going to see Jesus turning his attention more to his disciples and teaching them and bringing them along with him to show, uh, to show them how to grow in their faith. So today, if I could send you away from this place with one thought, it would be that you would grow in the faith, hopefully, that God has already begun in you if you have not placed faith in Christ. And we'd invite you to do that today, that you would believe this Savior that has transformed us the one who has come from God, to give us forgiveness of sins and life. And so our goal today is to look at these stories in the Gospel of Matthew in this chapter and ask, how can we grow in faith? Because that is Matthew's purpose, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, and that's what Jesus is doing in his disciples. Now these two stories will be familiar to almost all of you, maybe not, but almost all of you will have heard a story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Many of you would heard, and it is even a colloquial in our culture, oh, he can walk on water. That comes from this story where Peter actually gets out of the boat and walks on water. The power of God gifts him to walk on water. So these stories are not unfamiliar in our culture. And so I don't want us just to gloss over them. I want us to ask, what is Matthew trying to teach us in these stories? And I believe it is the opposite side of what we would have seen last week. Here are some examples of unbelief. This is what that looks like. Now, here's belief and how can we grow in it as Jesus is training his disciples here. So today, I want to push you. Would you grow in faith? Would you be stretched by the text? Would you allow the Spirit of God to push you and nurture growth in your life as we look at Jesus' ministry and his focus on the disciples in These two stories. I really just have that one point. Can we grow in faith? There are two major ways that I want to do that in these two two, uh, uh, stories of Matthew's gospel. And that is one, I want you to know that your faith in Christ can grow first in this first story of the feeding of the 5,000 because Jesus' provision is greater than our need. Jesus' provision is greater than our need. And then we're going to look at the story of Peter walking on water. And I want you to know this morning, your faith can grow in Jesus because Jesus' power is greater than our fear. Jesus' power is greater than our fear. So I want you to take those two with you today and let's ask, how can my faith grow? So let's look at the story in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, 
Begin with me down in verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, what is that? Go back to verses 1 and 2. Jesus has heard that uh, Herod, the one who responds in unbelief, who had killed John the Baptist, he thought that Jesus was the reincarnate John the Baptist. And so Jesus hears this. Herod was not too friendly to John the Baptist. Matthew just told us he killed him. And so Jesus withdraws then from there in the boat. Now notice in the English Standard Version, it says to a desolate place by himself. This is the desert. It's the same place we've seen Jesus before. It's the wilderness. It should bring up in our minds even the Old Testament in the Exodus when the people of God come out of bondage they spend some time in the wilderness and that's significant for this story because as I told you at the beginning one of Matthew's purposes and one of the themes that we're going to see through this book is that Matthew is presenting to us Jesus as the new and better Moses he is the Moses who is going to bring the people from bondage and slavery all the way to the promised land and he's making that way for us now and here we find Jesus in the desert and not only just by himself he's going there but there are going to be crowds that follow him they're going to come into the desert or into the wilderness with him and he is going to minister to them so Jesus is greater than excuse me Jesus provision is greater than our Needs And so Jesus gets by him, is looking for a place to get by himself. He gets in the boat that's on the Sea of Galilee from where he is. He's going away, maybe to the other side, maybe to another part on the lake, doesn't tell us. But he's going somewhere from where he is. The crowds hear of it and they follow him. And so they come on foot. And so when Jesus lands with the boat, he sees the great crowds there. And what does he do? I want you to look at him, verse 14, with me. Because I think this brings our faith in Jesus greater. And it also is a challenge for us. Look at verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Jesus goes ashore. He's trying to escape, but he cannot. He sees the crowds there, and instead of rebuking them, or instead of getting back in the boat and going somewhere else, Jesus has compassion on the crowds. Our Savior is one that looks at great need. He looks at those who are uh, outcast. He looks at those who are uh, in need, and he has compassion on them. And here, he sets up a medical clinic again, and they start bringing sick, and he's healing. This is the act of our Savior. I've said this before. I think I'll say it again. Even today, as you think about it, when Jesus is present on the earth, there is no disease that can stay. There is no disaster that can stay. His physical presence on the earth gives us a picture of what the new creation is going to be. So when those who are sick come to Jesus, he just heals them. There is a power of our God that gives us a longing for the day that's coming when he will return, when there will be no more sin. And we taste that in seeing Jesus' presence when he's on the earth. But this is not just about physical sickness, just like it's never been in all of Matthew's gospel about physical sickness. In just a moment, we're going to see him meet physical hunger. And it's not just about physical hunger. Those things are pointing us to what is to come and how you and I can enter into the kingdom of of God and be a part of this forever kingdom. So I want you to note Jesus' compassion, and I want that to draw you in and know today, I know that some of you are sitting here, and you're in the midst of crisis in your life, you're in the midst of great need in your life, and I want you to hear your Savior sees you, He knows you, and He has great compassion on those who 
are in need. And the Bible says Jesus had set up that medical clinic day, uh, all day long. People are coming to him and he's healing them. Mark's gospel says he also spent some time teaching them. And so he's teaching and healing. This is a ministry we've seen Jesus doing time and again. It comes to the evening. The disciples come to him and uh, as if he doesn't notice or doesn't even know what's going to happen, they come to him and say, hey, Jesus, it's getting close to evening. You probably need to shut this whole thing down so that these people will be able to go into the villages and get something to eat so that they can go and feed themselves. And I want you to know what happens. They remind Jesus, we're in the wilderness here. These people need to go back into somewhere where they can get some food. And I want you to note in verse 16 what Jesus says, this change. Jesus kind of confronting the disciples. You'll see this throughout this text is this is happening. The disciples do this, but Jesus. So verse 16, but Jesus pushes the disciples here and he says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. There's no need for them to go. Why don't you do it? Why don't you minister to the need of these people? So I want you to note with me this change. The disciples, by the way, if you and I were there, we're looking at Jesus, we know this wilderness. I think you and I would respond in much the same way. He's asking them to do something they cannot do in their own power. Remember, I'm pushing for faith today. Jesus is asking the disciples. As a matter of fact, he's not even asking them, is he? He's telling them there's no need for them to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, can you imagine being there and Jesus saying, you give them something to eat, and you're like, Jesus, we don't have anything. That's exactly what they say. They say, Jesus, we've, we've got, we found these five loaves and these two fish. We find out from the other gospels who record this story that it's a little boy who brought a lunch, and so these are five small loaves, loaves two fish. That would be his common lunch, common lunch of the people. He's brought this with him uh, as he followed this crowd out to hear Jesus And so the disciples come back and say, essentially, we can't do this. There's no chance that this is going to happen. We've looked around, and this is all there is. And so Jesus says this, bring them to me. You know the story. Bring them to me. He takes them. He looks up to heaven. He blesses them, and he breaks the bread, and he gives them to the disciples so that they can obey the command. You give them something to eat. Jesus takes this little five loaves, two fish, gives them to the disciples. Have everybody sit down. They start handing the food out. And the Bible says to us, and all ate and were satisfied, verse 20. So everyone ate. Don't let anybody tell you this is not an amazing miracle of our Lord. He takes this small amount. He gives it to the disciples, tells them to give it to others and the disciples are the focus of Matthew's story here as they then get to gather up all of this food I can just imagine Jesus saying hey guys there are 12 baskets over here why don't you each take one and just go just go gather up what's left you know uh we didn't have much to begin with they gather up each of them a full basket there are 12 baskets full when this is over so listen don't miss the fact there's more when this miracle is completed than there was before the miracle happened so before Jesus touches this there are five loaves and two fish afterward there are 12 baskets full there's an abundance of God's provision in the face 
of the needs of these people. They are to grow in faith. That's the point of this. Can you trust Jesus in the midst of your need? And can you trust his provision in the middle of that? Now, we've already mentioned when Jesus was present, there was no physical hunger. But you and I are sitting here today and we read this story and we say, well, there are brothers and sisters that we have across the world that are hungry today. What is this story? What are you telling us, Pastor? Are you telling us that if we just trust more, God will feed all these people? I'm telling you a couple of things to notice about the story. And the first one is, God has the power to feed all of the world. Right, So Jesus did not need the two fish and the five loaves even to feed those that were there. Our God is able, and I want to bring you to the faith in Christ, even as you think about physical needs, that our God is able to meet any physical need. But here, his point is deeper than that with these guys, and he's saying to them, in the midst of your ministry, when you're reaching out to others, when I have now commanded you, you give them something to eat. When I, Jesus, will soon command us to do to the least of these, when he has told us to go and serve others, and he says that, you go serve others, what he's saying is, I will be the one that you can trust to meet the needs that I send you to meet. And people have a need greater than even this physical hunger. Now many times God will help us and be use us to meet physical needs of others, but we do that just like Jesus is doing that so that we can meet a deeper need and that is a spiritual need. This story is about a greater hunger than your physical hunger as John's gospel lets us know. When John is recording this story for us, he comes to the end and there's this wonderful uh, uh, sermon and and even uh, uh, exchange between Jesus and the people about uh, manna and bread from heaven. I mentioned to you a moment ago that this story is pointing us to to Jesus as the new Moses or the, the true and greater Moses that is to come. This story points us back to the people of God in the wilderness. And when they were hungry, God fed them. He didn't need two fish and five loaves then. He just rained manna out of heaven. He just made the doves come and land in their midst. So God doesn't need what you and I have in order to serve and meet the needs of those who are needy. But he often chooses to use what you and I have to meet the needs of others so that we can bring them the ultimate answers of Christ and salvation. And so this morning, I just want you to note a couple of things there about the one who uh, brings the food. The disciples say, Lord, this is all we've got. Some of us look around and we say, we can't do anything. We can't uh, uh, serve. Jenny and I have some really close friends uh, that are in a great need. And last weekend, they just sent out an email to us along with a lot of other people. And they said, hey, we've got this great need. We believe that God is leading us to do this, but there's this great need. And we looked around and, and I'm the one that said this. I thought, you know, uh, we can do something, but, but the greatness of the need and the little that I can actually do to help with that seems so insignificant. It just seems like it wouldn't help at all. It wouldn't make a difference. And sometimes you are holding time and treasure and talents that you would think it really wouldn't make a difference. If God wanted to rain manna from heaven, he could. And yet God says, I will take this two fish and these five loaves that could no means by no means feed these 5,000 people plus women and children and I will use it and do and accomplish my purposes with it. We were amazed to hear 
on Monday this past week that God had not only met the need, He had overabundantly met the need. And so God will use your little and He will accomplish His purposes with it. And it's all of us coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, here's what I have. Here's who I am. It's yours. Would you use it to meet needs? So listen to me. God's provision is greater than not only our need. His provision is greater than our need. That is His creation. And you and I can be agents of our God, ambassadors of our God, to take His provision to meet needs. And so we are to grow in faith through this. The need is deeper than physical food. God is showing us that He can meet all of our needs, that His provision is greater than our greatest need. And so I want to say this to you as we come to the end here. Jesus' compassion is what drives Him to provide for the needs of the people. And He's calling us then to follow in His steps, to come along with Him in this. So Jesus, the new and greater Moses, calling us to faith. Two things about this. If Jesus' provision is greater than our need, then I think what I want to call us to at the level of belief this morning, if I could just say it real plainly to you, is believe in His compassion. Believe in our Savior's compassion and then become a compassionate minister with Him. Pray that God would let you use what you have to accomplish His purposes. Jesus provides in the face of our needs. That's what He does. And He uses us us often to help provide for others and I think Lord what can we do for the the many who cannot hear and have not heard the gospel and you might think well I'm just one person I'm just one offering God is going to use that for his glory would you give yourself would you give what you have because God has chosen to use the small that we have for his glory I think about all of those uh, refugees coming out of Syria, they're under the attack of ISIS and all that's going on in our world, uh, some that's going on even in our nation. And I think about uh, as we talk to some great friends, uh, even this weekend, about adoption and how many, how many children are, are aborted instead of adopted and all of these statistics about how the church could, could get involved in that. And you think, well, I'm just one person. We're just one family. I'm just this. This is all I have. And God just says, if you'll give it to me, I will use it to meet needs and bring glory to myself. And that's what he does. Can we believe in his compassion toward us, recognize how he's met our needs, and become a compassionate minister? Secondly, would you believe in his abundant provision? Believe in his abundant provision. That's what's here. He took this. He provided there 12 baskets left over. And because you believe in that, would that help you today? Would you say, I'm going to become an extravagant giver, an extravagant giver? David Platt in his Commentary on this section of scripture says disciples of Jesus are an extension of Christ's mercy and his miraculous power. God can use us and use what we have to abundantly provide. So church, here's what he's asking you to do. Would you become an extravagant giver of your time, of your talent, of who you are, of your treasure? Would you give it to the Lord and say, Lord, it's yours. Would you use it? He can take our little and accomplish his purposes he will use it secondly as we move on in verse 22 immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side john's gospel says that when jesus provided all this food for everybody 
that uh, they wanted to make him king. I think you and I look around today and not many of us are going hungry. We don't recognize how great a miracle it is that Jesus had, had um, performed in, in, this, in this story because these people would go to work and they would work all day and all week just to survive, just to have food and shelter. You and I go to work and we work and we think, oh, I'm going to work and we work to play and we work to get things and we work to go places and we work for all these. These people, they knew what it was like not to have. And so we think about this and we think, oh, well, food, you know, Jesus provided food. The people that were in Jesus' day, they would see that this man can provide food for us. We need to make him king. Keep providing this food. And so John's gospel tells us they were trying to make him king. Jesus knew the disciples didn't need to have anything to do with that, especially in light of chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. So he says, you guys get in the boat. The verse actually says he made them get in the boat and go to the other side. Jesus is telling them, forcing them, get here and go there. And so he sent his disciples away. I want you to note, just in passing this morning, verse 23, after he dismissed the crowd, so Jesus goes back, has conversation with the crowds, he dismisses them, he went up on the mountain to pray by him. Self, Just in passing, I want to note this morning, Jesus' example to us as a committed prayer. He spent time before the Father. He needed that. As a matter of fact, if you go back up to verse 13, that's where he was headed when he met all these crowds. Here he finds some time. So even though ministry took some priority there for him, prayer was such a priority that he still said, you guys go on, I'm going to dismiss them. I need to spend some time with the Father. Just want you to know this morning how important your prayer life with the Father is. And just challenge you, get before our God in prayer. So the end of verse 23, when evening came, he was there alone and he spent that time in prayer. But the boat with the disciples in it on the Sea of Galilee, going back to the other side. It's going to end up at Gennesaret, as we'll see in verse 34. And the disciples are in the midst of a storm. The boat is in a storm. Now get the picture. Jesus, sovereign God, says, get in the boat, get out on the sea in this storm. So I just want to note for you, Our God is absolutely sovereign, even over the storm. And in this storm, God is going to make a point and he's going to test their faith and help them grow in their faith. This morning, I want you to just hear this. Our God is greater than any fear that we have. And his power is greater than fears that you'll be confronted with. And those fears that you are confronted with come right in the midst of the situations, the everyday situations of your life. And you need to be called this morning to trust in God because his power is greater than our fears. Here, I want to call you specifically to believe in his sovereignty and thus become a willing follower. Jesus is sovereign over the storm. He's sovereign over putting these disciples in a boat. I think Matthew is not mistaken in that he says he made the disciples get in the boat. I think that you and I need to know Jesus is sending his disciples in the midst of the storm because he's going to do something that's going to challenge their faith and grow them. So believe in God's sovereignty and become a willing follower. God is sovereign over whatever you're facing right now in your life. Our God didn't wake up this morning and just 
to be surprised about what's going on in your life and mine. He's sovereign over it. Trust Him in it because He's doing something in the midst of it. Whether it's the storm or the feeding of the 5,000, He's going to push our faith and His goal is that you and I would respond in faith and see the wonder and the power and the greatness of our Savior and in our response, change our lives, live through these storms and do what Peter is going to do in just a moment respond in faith so believe in his sovereignty become a willing follower of Jesus the disciples verse 24 turns to them they're out on the sea and there is a storm coming or or in the midst they're in the midst of a storm and so what happens verse 25 in the fourth watch of the night somewhere between 3 a.m 6 a.m Jesus comes to them walking on the sea now, this is Jesus. He could have just appeared in the boat and it would have been scary enough. But you're in the middle of the night. It's a storm and you look up and somebody's walking on the water towards your boat. Now, some of you that uh, have more uh, courage than I may not have been afraid. But I'm just telling you, I'd have been terrified. And the disciples are terrified. And they begin to cry out, the Bible says. It is a ghost, they say, and they cried out in fear. Look at verse 27. Immediately, Jesus speaks to them. And what's he say? Take heart, take courage. It is I. Now, the Greek uh, formation of that is simply ego me. It simply means I am. The best way for us to translate it honestly is for Jesus. He's really literally saying, it is I. You should know it's me. But I also think that Matthew is playing here for us to know this is the Savior. This is God walking on water, coming to you in the middle of the storm. So I think it's a both end. The plainest way Jesus is just saying in our everyday language, it is I. But in saying that, Matthew is drawing our attention to the fact that he's walking on water. He's telling them to take courage. What he's reminding you is, I'm God. I'm in your presence. Don't be afraid. And so he says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, I love Peter's answer here. I can't imagine a scenario in which I would have responded in this moment the way Peter did. But he does. And isn't he always responding to Jesus in unique ways? And Peter just looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, those last words are what gets me, on the water. He didn't just say, command us to come to you. We'll row the boat over to you. He says, command me to come to you, and I'll come to you on the water. Which means he's got to get out of the boat. My son, who I'm not trying to embarrass, sitting on the front row, has a dream in life. And his dream is to fly with a wingsuit. No plane, no glider, but to fly with a wingsuit. Now, we can't go there because apparently these wingsuits are already made and I don't have anywhere close to the amount of money to get Caleb a wingsuit. However, there are steps that you can take to get to that kind of feeling and one of those is uh, skydiving. And so we've talked about this. As a matter of fact, he's probably going to remind me, I told him one time, maybe we'll do that. But there's a reason that Caleb and I have not been skydiving yet. And that is because I really don't think that I can bring myself to step out of a perfectly good plane into the midair falling toward the earth. He may be able to. I'm not sure I can. In the same way, Peter, with the disciples, in a boat, 
in a storm, Jesus standing on the water, I'm not sure that I'm stepping out of that boat to stand on the water. Why? I don't walk on water. I don't fly. That's why I wouldn't step out of a plane. Peter responds in faith. Faith. Verse 29, excuse me, verse 28 says, as Peter, quoting Peter, Lord, if it is you. There's some commentators that say this, the sense of this is Peter saying, Lord, since it is you, since I realize who you are, it is Christ. I'm asking you, command me to come. Now look at verse 29, what's Jesus say? Just one word, come, come. Church, I have spent much of my time this week just in my own prayer life and in my own, in my own meditation over this text thinking, why would Peter step out? Of, why don't you just wait for Jesus to get in the boat, right? Why would Peter step out of the boat? And I, while I don't have any kind of authoritative answer for you, I think that what we can say, I don't know what Peter was going through in his own mind, but what we can say is Peter wanted to be close to the Savior, and he saw his Savior walking on water, doing something that's displaying incredible glory, and he wanted to participate in it. So I think it could be one of those are a mixture, and I really think it's a mixture. I want to be close to him. Storm, he's walking on water. I trust him. I want to be with him. And this is incredible glory. Somebody is walking on water. You guys understand this doesn't happen, right? I mean, people just don't walk on water. Jesus is walking on water, and Peter's like, if you can do that, can you help me do it with you? And he, look at it, verse 29, he got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. I just want you to stop right there for a moment because we always focus on Peter's doubt, right? That's coming. But I want you to note the pattern here. In the boat, in the midst of storm, there is great fear and Jesus speaks and there is great faith by Peter. So much so that he says, Lord, command me to come and I'll come. And Jesus says, come. Peter gets out of the, the boat and is walking on water. So there's great fear. Then there's great faith. Then there's action to that faith. He steps out of the boat. Now, as he's out of the boat, he's walking toward Jesus. And now his focus changes again. So there's great fear again. He looks at the wind, the Bible says. And he sees the effects of the wind and the storm around him. And in his focus going to the storm around him, he begins to sink. So we've gone from great fear to great faith. Back to great fear. And now Jesus reaches his hand out and grabs Peter and pulls him up. And they come and get in the boat together. The Bible doesn't say how far they were. If Peter then walked on water with Jesus. I just kind of picture both of them together walking on water back to the boat. As he cries out to the Lord in verse 30. Lord save me God in display of his great glory is not only walking on water but he he puts his hand down and rescues one who is sinking in the midst of the water and look at the end of verse 31 he says to Peter he just he just calls him this little faith I don't think he's given a nickname or a new name he's just saying little faith why did you doubt you could say little faith one he says oh you of little faith why did you doubt you had such faith that you stepped out of the boat. Church, I don't know that I get the faith to step out of the boat very often. 
Peter steps out of the boat. Now, you've got friends, I've got friends, and Peter has friends. Peter's friends are standing in the boat, and one out of 11, they're probably fishermen and other people that are in the boat, perhaps with them, and there's at least 11 other guys in the boat. Peter steps out of the boat. I know my friends, and I can hear them in the boat. I told him he should never do that. I knew he was going to sink. Right, You've got friends and you hear their voices in your head when God is challenging you, step out on faith, follow me, trust me, give up all in your life to follow after me. And we hear our friends and our friends are saying the same thing that we would say if we were still standing in the boat. I told him he was going to sink. I know this wasn't going to work. But listen, Peter had enough faith to get out of the boat. And so this morning, I want to say there's a faith to get out of the boat, to step out in faith, trusting God, to surrender to Him, to to participate in the life and the glory that He has called you to participate in, and then you will still be challenged. Once you step out of the boat, the challenge is not over. I think that is an incredibly large step to get out of the boat and some of you this morning I need to just say you need to get out of the boat and start walking with God you need to walk by faith Peter did that but the test was not over the test was still there are circumstances around him that are calling his attention and there are circumstances around you that are calling for your attention and when you take your eyes off of Christ and you begin to think about your situation and what you're going to do in this and that you too will begin to sink there's a fear that keeps people from getting out of the boat and then there's a fear when you're walking by faith that will cause you to sink the fear on the first hand will keep you from ever following after Christ the fear on the second hand will drive you to cry out as Peter did Lord save me I've told you before I'll tell you again church it's right here that you find this principle of fear and faith in your life they're inversely proportional As fear rises in your life, faith will decrease. But as faith increases, your fear will decrease. The point of this text is to call you to faith. Will you trust the one who has power over the fears in our lives? Peter cries out to Jesus and he reaches down and brings him up. Some of you today are in the boat and I need to say to you, Take the step of faith and get out of the boat. Follow after Christ. Some of you are on the, you're walking with Christ. You're walking to Christ. And yet you're looking around and you're starting to sink. And that fear should, should just drive you this morning to cry out to God, Lord, save me. And he does. Little faith one. I think I'd rather be a little faith one than never getting out of the boat. Let me just say this to you this morning. If you this morning will begin to live and continue to live by faith and attempt things that only God could do in your life, there are going to be moments of fear. Don't think that you will ever get beyond until the Lord comes back. You will never get beyond the temptation to look around you to see what's going on in your life and put your focus there and take your eyes off Christ and begin to sink. So today, if you're sinking... Cry out to the Lord. Come to the one who you placed faith in. He's still standing on the water, right? That's where he is with Peter. He's still standing there. And he reaches down and grabs him. And he saves him. Jesus prevails over our fears. Come to him.
come to him. In this display of the power and the glory of our great God, when they get back to the boat, verse 33, there's this great confession. Those who's in the, who are in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. This morning, I told you that as I began, I wanted to call you to faith. So let me, let me make one final appeal to you to call you to faith, and that is this. As you believe in the power of God, you can become a clear display of that power. Trust Him. He will display in you His power. And that's what He's done for Peter. So you say, how do, how do I do that? How, do, how does my faith grow? Let me give you this instruction. Attempt things in your life that could only be accomplished by God. So he says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. They can't do that. Go meet needs in a way that can only be explained by God doing it. Attempt things in your life that can only be accomplished by the power of God. You know what I think Peter really realized? He may have known this before he got out of the boat, and I think he, may, he really may have. He can't walk on water. But in the power of God, who is displaying it right now, I can. Let me tell you something. You can't come back from the dead. You can't live forever. Oh, but my Savior is. He's alive. And because He is, He says, come. My faith in Him is for me to live this day for His glory. And I can attempt things for His glory, listen, that only He can accomplish. Only the power of God can do it. What will you attempt in this week, in this day, in this lifetime? What will we attempt as a church that only the power of God could accomplish? Now, two final statements, and that is Peter was attempting these things, I believe, to be closer to God and to display His glory. So, let me add that to our statement. Will you attempt things that only God could do that would bring you closer to God and display His glory? Because that's what happens in this miracle. We don't, none of us look at Peter and say, man, he's so great. We look at Peter and say, he sank. Oh, you little faith one. What you and I need to do and what we need to hear this morning, even in our lives, is that we can attempt things for our God that can only be accomplished by His power that bring us closer to Him and display his great glory.